A man was returning home from a business trip during the holidays, and he was exhausted and in a terrible, terrible mood. And as he walked through the airport, he was listening to the airport music, and the Christmas songs just irritated him so much. And then he looked around, and he saw the decorations, and he thought, those are so tacky. And then he walks to the airline counter where he's going to check in, and he sees this plastic mistletoe hanging above the luggage scale where you weigh your suitcase. And he looks over at this woman behind the counter, and because he's in a really, really bad mood, he says, you know what, lady? I'm married, but even if I wasn't, I would never kiss you. And the lady looks at him and says, well, sir, that's not why the mistletoe is there. He says, well, why do you have mistletoe hanging over the luggage scale? She said, it's so that you can kiss your luggage goodbye. Let me ask you this, what kind of mood are you in this morning? It's Christmas, right? It was supposed to be this love and, and peace and joy, but really, how joyful are you today? Now, we've all heard the term probably holiday blues, right? I was reading a description of holiday blues this week, and it goes like this. Holiday blues can affect both men and women, young and old. Factors contributing to holiday blues include, and here's a list, increased stress and fatigue, unrealistic expectations, over-commercialization, do you think, and the inability to be with one's family. And then went on and said this, the increased demands of shopping, parties, family reunions, and house guests may also contribute to tension and sadness during the holidays. Common stress reactions include headaches, excessive drinking, overeating, and difficulty sleeping. Now, as I read that list, you might think, hey, that's me. Or I know somebody like that. Well, if that's the case, I'm really glad you're here because the message today is about what? It's about joy. There was a recent survey that asked people if they were looking forward to Christmas. And while many people said yes, quite a few actually said no. And they gave these kinds of reasons. Christmas is a time of giving, but we can't afford to give this year. Christmas is a time to be with your family, but there's anger and hostility and serious problems in our family. Christmas it's supposed to be a time when you feel joyful, but in my life right now, there is no joy. The story of Christmas is a story about joy. In fact, it begins with a proclamation of joy. Take a look at this verse from the Christmas story. It says this, But the angel said to them, to the shepherds, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for who? For all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Now, it might sound strange, but I'm convinced that God wants us to take joy seriously. And here's what I mean. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, joy is not optional. In fact, the Bible says, rejoice in the Lord always. It's not a suggestion. It's actually a command by God to become joyful people. Now, think about this. God would not give us a command unless he was willing to help us obey that command. Doesn't that make sense? And so what that means is that we have to take personal responsibility for joy. Now, if you're married this morning, that means that it's not your spouse's responsibility for you to become a more joyful person. That responsibility doesn't belong to your boss or your friend or your neighbor. Whose responsibility is it if you're a follower of Christ to become more joyful? Yeah, it's our responsibility. So we're going to focus on that this morning. Now, one of the things that I wanted to share with you today is... One of my favorite authors, his name is C.S. Lewis, and here's a picture of C.S. Lewis. He was an amazingly popular writer. 
And I think one of the reasons for that is that he was able to take complicated ideas and make them accessible. He could explain them in ways that were easy to understand. And one of the topics that he wrote on extensively was joy. He wrote this book called Surprised by Joy, and in that book he describes his intense desire to find joy in this world. And over many years of trial and error, C.S. Lewis discovered that this joy he wanted so badly was more than a feeling that depended on circumstances. He wanted this contentment that he could experience no matter what was happening in his life. And in an attempt to find that kind of joy, he plunged himself into all kinds of pursuits and pleasures, but he came up empty. He could not find joy. And he eventually had this thought, what if the reason that nothing in this world could satisfy his desire for joy was because the object of his desire was outside of the world? Now, here's how he reasons. First of all, every desire we experience has a corresponding real object that can satisfy that desire. For example, the desire we call hunger is satisfied by what? Yeah, a bacon double cheeseburger, right? Or whatever you like. It's satisfied by food. Um, the desire that we call thirst is satisfied by what? Yeah, a chocolate milkshake to go with your bacon double cheeseburger, right? Yeah, by something to drink. The desire for companionship is satisfied by what? Having a close friend. Every desire that we experience has a corresponding real object that can satisfy that desire. Now, when it comes to joy, we experience a desire that nothing in this world can completely satisfy. And this is a common experience that people have. Therefore, C.S. Lewis reasoned, there must be a real object, someone or something, that transcends this world, that can give us the joy we deeply desire. And what C.S. Lewis discovered is what many of us have discovered, that someone is Jesus. Let me ask you this, what is the most joyful place in the entire universe? Okay, I, I thought <laughs> somebody, somebody was going to say the, the Dolphins locker room after they win a game. Um, <laughs> yes, and I did hear the right answer. It is heaven. Heaven is the most joyful place in the universe. And who is the most joyful being in the entire universe? God is. Now think about the first Christmas. Jesus, who is God, the most joyful being in the universe comes from the most joyful, joyful place in the universe to bring us what? Yeah, the answer is obvious, to bring us joy. When I was a kid growing up, I did not see God as a joyful God. When I was growing up, I saw God as really a judge, sort of a cosmic cop, and if I did something wrong, God was going to let me know it. Now, as I began to really read the Bible for myself, I started to understand that my, my view of God was not correct. I began to understand God's goodness and God's grace and God's love, and I still remember there was a passage in the Old Testament that riveted my attention. It's this verse in Zephaniah 3, chapter 3, verse 17, that really reori reoriented my view of God. And this is what it says. This is how God feels about you. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. And notice this phrase. He will rejoice over you with singing. Really? Think about this. What do you do when you're really, really joyful? Now, if you're a dog, you do what? You wag your tail. But what do people do when they're really joyful? They sing, right? We did that this morning. We sing. What does God do when he is really joyful? Did you ever think about this? God sings. It says it right in this verse. 
And here's what's an amazing thought. God loves us so much that he sings over us with joy. And now here's why that's so important to realize. There's another being in this universe that does not want you to be a joyful person. In fact, he wants to steal your joy. And there's an author, his name is Francis de Salas, and he said this one time. He said, the evil one, that is Satan, is pleased with sadness and melancholy because he himself is sad and melancholy and will be so for all eternity. Therefore, he desires that everyone should be like himself. You know the old saying, misery loves what? Company. And the evil one has a lot of company, unfortunately. There are a lot of people who go through life really joy impaired. Now, here's what I want us to see. God doesn't want our lives to be like that. God wants us to experience joy. But honestly, how is that possible? And I think the key is this, choosing what you focus on. And so this morning, I want to talk about three things we can focus on that will help us to become a more joyful person. And here is the first. Focus on Jesus and what he's done for you. Focus on Jesus and what he's done for you. Look at this verse from the book of Hebrews. It says this. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by, and what's the next word? No, by keeping. By keeping our eyes on Jesus. We don't just look at Jesus and look away. We have to keep our eyes on Jesus. One of my favorite TV specials, Christmas specials, is the one with Charlie Brown. How many of you love that TV special? Isn't that great? It's been around for like 50 years. And Charlie Brown is getting really exasperated, and finally he says, does anybody know what Christmas is all about? And who has the answer for him? Linus. And so Linus takes center stage, and the spotlight comes on, and what does Linus recite? The Christmas story from Luke chapter 2, because Christmas is about Jesus. It's like this little girl named Ruth, and one time she was asked, um, Ruth, did you get everything you wanted for Christmas? And she said, no, but then again, it's not my birthday. Christmas is about Jesus, and Jesus is our source of joy. Now, here's that verse that I talked about earlier. It's, it's really a command, rejoice in the Lord when? Always, always. And for emphasis, Paul says, hey, I'll say it again because it's so important. Hey, rejoice. Now, if you're a Christian this morning, focusing on Jesus at Christmas time means that you not only remember the Savior in the manger, you remember the Savior who lives in in you because that baby born in Bethlehem that baby grew up and his name was Jesus which means God saves and Jesus began to carry out his mission in this world he he left his his business as a carpenter and started to travel around the countryside proclaiming that a kingdom had come God's kingdom and that a new life was possible if you would trust God if you would accept him as your king and the religious leaders eventually arrested Jesus and Jesus allowed the events in his life to take place. He allowed himself to be beaten. He allowed himself to be crucified. Why? Because Jesus knew that sin had separated us from a God who loves us dearly. And Jesus knew that his father was just and had to punish our sin. And Jesus said, I'll take their place. And that's what happens on the cross. Jesus is willing to die in our place so that we can be forgiven, so that we can have the kind of life that God always wanted us to have. And you know the story. After three days, Jesus comes back to life. And he says, if you will make the choice to follow me, I will live in you by my spirit. Now, that's what we need to understand at Christmas time, that Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian, lives in you, and because of that, you can have joy. 
Think about this. If I were to say, hey, can you tell me about the most joyful times in your life? I suspect that as you tell me the stories, those stories would involve people, right? People that you love, people that love you, because people can be an incredible source of joy in our lives. We know the flip side is people can be an incredible source, source of sadness and sorrow as well. But God wants our relationship with him, listen carefully, to be the primary source of joy in our lives. There's a verse in, in Psalm 34, and it says this. It's an invitation. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Now, I can stand up here this morning and say, church, listen, what you need to do is have a close relationship with Jesus because in that relationship, you will experience what? Joy. But that's never going to happen unless you do what? Unless you taste and see. Unless you actually say, you know what? I'm going to develop a close relationship with Jesus because I know that it will lead to joy. And here's where the distinction between joy and happiness becomes so apparent. The word happiness comes from an old English word, happenstance. And so in order to be happy, you have to like the things that are happening in your life. And of course, if you don't like the things that are happening, you are unhappy, sad, or even miserable. But joy is rooted in a relationship with Jesus, a relationship you can never lose. And consider what happens when Jesus goes back home to heaven. He says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. He's talking to his disciples. I'm going to come to you. And the way that Jesus keeps that promise is by sending the Holy Spirit to live in the hearts of his followers. And that's why the Bible says this, but the fruit of the Spirit, the, the characteristics in the life of a person closely connected to Jesus are these, love, joy, and peace. See, joy doesn't depend on whether or not you got the new car or whether... Your child graduated from high school or college. Joy doesn't depend on the balance in your checking account. It doesn't depend on whether your husband remembered your anniversary. It doesn't depend on any of those things. Joy comes from a close relationship with Jesus. And I will tell you this, some of the most joyful people I have ever known in my life have had the hardest lives. And yet because of their connection with Jesus, they experienced joy. So God wants us to experience joy no matter what's happening, but we have to do this. We have to make a decision to be a joyful person. Look at this verse. It says this, Dear brothers and sisters, whenever trouble comes your way, let it be an opportunity for complaining. Let it be an opportunity for discouragement. What does it say? Let it be an opportunity for joy. I found something just a few days ago in my drawer. It's a gift that I got a number of years ago, it's actually uh, three golf balls from the 2007 uh, Masters Tournament. How, how many of you play golf or know about golf? Okay, have you ever looked closely at a golf ball? It's got these little dimples on it. The ones here are shaped like a hexagon. Do you know why golf balls have dimples, by the way? Does anybody know? Aerodynamics, right, because if you dimple a golf ball, it will go twice as far as a smooth golf ball. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? You know what I was thinking about when I looked at this golf ball? That I'm like a golf ball, and so are you. We get dinged up, right? You got any dimples? <laughs> any dents from the things that have happened to you? But here's the thing. If we choose joy, we can go further. If we choose joy, we can persevere. Because what the Bible says is true. The joy of the Lord is my what? My strength. And this verse is interesting because it doesn't say, you know, if trouble comes your way, it says whenever trouble comes your way because trouble is inevitable. 
And when there is trouble in your life, you really get a choice. You can allow that trouble to push you closer to God, or you can allow that trouble to pull you away from God. Now, which of those does God want? He wants our trouble to push us toward him so that we can experience joy even when life is hard. Now, this is an idea that we also find in the Old Testament. Look at this verse from Psalm 118. It says, this is the day the Lord has made. We will what? Rejoice and be glad in it. You know, this day, with all of its pressures and problems and pain and disappointment, we can choose this day to rejoice in the Lord. But honestly, why should we choose to do that? When life is hard, why shouldn't we get angry or upset or discouraged or anxious? You know, why shouldn't we just pull the covers over our head and stay in bed for the rest of the day? And here's the answer. Because God's at work in your life. God is always at work in the lives of his children. I was in my office this morning, and I found this person on my shelf. <laughs> and I wanted to bring him this morning. Does anybody know who this is? Yeah, it's from the hunchback of Notre Dame. See his face? Okay, this is Quasimodo. All right, and the reason that Quasimodo sits on my shelf is to remind me that I am Quasimodo. And here's what I mean. Do you know what the name Quasimodo means? Partially formed. See, as a Christian, I am partially formed. God is using the pain and the problems in my life to make me more like Jesus. And if you're a Christian, that's true of you as well. Do you realize that? And so when life is hard, we can choose to rejoice because God is always at work. But what we need to do is focus on Jesus because think about this. And I try to think about this all the time. Did Jesus live on Easy Street? No. Jesus took a path called the Via Dolorosa, the path of pain. And God, because he is sovereign, could use the pain in his son's life to accomplish a greater purpose. Can he do that in your life? Absolutely. He can do that in my life because he is God. And we need to remember that God has a purpose for the pain in our lives, and that purpose is to make us like Jesus. Now, as you think about joy this morning, it's good to focus on Jesus, but also to focus on this, what he's done for you, what Jesus has done for you. Let me ask you this. How would you react if you got a letter in the mail like this on Monday? Dear Mr. and Mrs., and you can fill in the blank with your name, we are pleased to inform you that due to the generosity of an anonymous friend, the mortgage on your home has been paid in full. Amen. <laughs> Wait, there's more. In addition, the balances due on all your credit cards have been paid as well. Woo we hope, we hope this good news brings you joy during the holiday season. Sincerely, Mr. You Are So Lucky, Vice President of Financial Services. Now, how would you react if you got a letter like that? Would that make your Christmas? Think about it. Now, I want to read an actual letter written to us in the Bible from the Apostle Paul. This is in the book of, Col of Colossians. It says this. When you were stuck in your old sin-dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it. All sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean, that old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. Now, when you think about that, if you're a believer, that should fill you with what? Incredible joy. You know, I never get over this thought. When God the Father looks at me, because I've trusted Jesus, 
when, when God looks at me, it's as if I'd never sinned. Isn't that incredible? And listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can make that choice. Because when you follow Jesus, he came, he said, to set us free. Free from what? Free from the past. Free from guilt and regret and fear and shame. And listen, when we focus on that, it leads to joy. But during the Christmas season, there's so many distractions. Isn't that true? But if we just take a time out and we say, you know what, I'm gonna focus on Jesus. I'm gonna focus on what Jesus has done for me that will lead us toward what? You know the answer, don't you? Yeah, toward joy. Now here's something else that will help us become more joyful people. It's on your outline. Focus on others and what you can do for them. Focus on others and what you can do for them. In Charles Dickens' classic novel, A Christmas Carol, there's this mean, miserly old man who goes around saying, bah, humbug. And who is the character? Scrooge, Ebenezer Scrooge, um, who is really um, sort of the original Grinch who stole Christmas. Now, this is how a Wikipedia article describes Scrooge. He is a cold-hearted, tight-fisted, selfish man who despises Christmas and all things which engender happiness. Now, why is Scrooge so joy-impaired? Because he's only focused on himself. And he doesn't give a rip about the people around him. Now, as you read the story, it's really quite interesting because Scrooge is visited by three ghosts. How many of you know the story, by the way? Okay, this is good. So the last ghost is the, the ghost of Christmas yet to come. And Scrooge is given this glimpse of a mysterious scene where this man has died, and Scrooge sees these businessmen discussing the dead man's wealth. He sees this um, poor couple who are so glad that, that their you know, creditor has died because he just wouldn't forgive their debt. And Scrooge wants to know the name of this person who's died, and the spirit points to this headstone in the graveyard, and Scrooge is stunned because whose name is on the, the gravestone? Yeah, his name. And so he pleads with the spirit and says, I, I want to change my life. I want to renounce my selfish ways. I want to honor Christmas with all my heart. And suddenly Scrooge finds himself in bed. And now he's filled with joy because he has a chance to redeem himself. And he runs out into the street hoping to share his newfound Christmas spirit. And he sends a, a giant turkey to one of his employees' homes. And he goes to his nephew's party. And everybody's just surprised. And they say, what's happened to Scrooge? But as the years go by, he holds true to this promise. And he cares about other people. He cares about meeting their needs. And Scrooge discovers what was missing his whole life. Joy. When Jesus comes to our world, he comes to meet the needs of people. Isn't that true? And if we're going to be like Jesus, we have to do the same thing. We have to leave our world and enter the world of other people so that we can experience this joy. I read a story this week about American Airlines that I thought was rather interesting. They got a lot of complaints about lost luggage. Remember the opening story about kissing your luggage goodbye? Well, apparently a lot of people were kissing their luggage goodbye. And the general manager was trying to do something to address this problem, and it just wasn't being solved. So he had a great idea. He called all of his managers to a regional meeting and had them fly there and intentionally had all of their luggage lost. And you know what happened? All of a sudden, those complaints went way, way down. Why? Because the managers understood how important it is to meet the needs of other people. And church, that's what was happening in the first century. When you read the book of Acts, you see these Christians who loved each other. 
and there were no needy people among them. If you were hungry, they gave you food. If you needed clothing, they made sure you had some. If you needed friendship, they would sit and listen to you. And they not only met each other's needs, they met the needs of their neighbors. And because of that, what did they experience? Three-letter word starts with a J, ends with a Y. Joy, exactly. Now, I want you to look at these words of Jesus because there is a, a distinct connection between loving people and joy. And this is what Jesus said. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. Now notice what Jesus says next. I have told you these things. I have told you this, this stuff about love, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be what? Complete, full. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you, because when we do that, that's the pathway to joy. So look at the question on your outline this morning. What is one thing I could do for someone this Christmas? Is there someone that God's placed in your life who has a need that you could meet? Maybe it's a financial need, maybe the need for friendship, maybe the need for encouragement, because when you step into their world and you meet their need, that's an opportunity to experience what? Joy. Now here's the third way that we can experience joy, focus, on tomorrow and not just today. Focus on tomorrow and not just today. The Christmas story is about a young girl, Mary, giving birth to a baby. And any woman who's ever given birth to a baby knows this. You have to push through the pain of the present to get to the joy of bringing a child into the world. Isn't that true, ladies? And Jesus said this so clearly. He said this, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish. Why? Because of her joy that a child is born into the world. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and says this, so with you. Now is your time of grief because Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. Now is your time of grief. But I will see you again and you will do what? You will rejoice and no one, no one will take away your joy. How can we have joy in this broken, messed up world that at times can be so hard? We have to look through the pain of the present and see the joy that's up ahead. How many of you are familiar with this phrase? It is what it is. How many of you have said that this week? <laughs> yeah, it is what it is. Well, you know what? That's true. And when you look at your life or you look at a situation, you know, you can try to deny it or disguise it, but... The reality is, it is what it is. But do you realize that's only part of the story? You know, when I have a, a situation in my life that is sad or, or hard or painful, I am perfectly willing to say, you know, God, it is what it is. But I quickly remind myself, but it is not what it will one day be. Because there's a promise in this book that Jesus Christ is coming back to this world and he's gonna make everything new and he's gonna change things. And things are going to be the way they were supposed to to be from the very beginning. And Christmas reminds us of that. Because thousands of years ago, God's people were waiting. That's what the word Advent points us to. That there's one coming. We have to wait for him to arrive. Did Jesus arrive in Bethlehem? Yes, we know that. Is Jesus going to arrive in our world again? Is he really coming back? You bet he is. And when he does, what this book says will come true, that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, mourning or crying or pain. 
That's an amazing promise from God, isn't it? And if we really believe that, we can have joy as we look toward the future. Now, there's a, a term for this. It's called realistic optimism. We're realistic about our lives, but we're optimistic because of the promises of God. And this perspective, realistic optimism, is what the writers of the New Testament had. When they read about joy, they weren't just trying to get people to engage in the power of positive thinking. They were talking about looking through the pain of the present to see the joy up ahead. Because the New Testament writers saw the events in their lives through the lens of the ultimate victory and return of Jesus Christ. Now, who taught them to do that? Thank you, Tim. Absolutely, Jesus did. Now, how do we know that? Because of what it says here in Hebrews. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him did what? Endure the cross. When Jesus is going through this incredible pain, what is he focused on? He's not focused on the pain. He's focused on the joy up ahead. The joy of completing the work his father had given him to do. The joy of bringing glory to his father. The joy of rescuing you and me. And friends, we can do that too. We can look through the pain of the present and see the joy up ahead that God has promised to everyone who follows Jesus. So how can we become more joyful people? Well, there's one word, J-O-Y. And if you look at your outline, what does the J stand for? Jesus. So we need to focus on Jesus, who he is, what he's done for us. The O stands for others. Focus on how we can meet the needs of others. And the Y stands for you. Focus on the future God has in store for you as a follower of Christ. And listen, if you're not a follower of Christ, if you're here today and just have questions about what it means to be a Christian, I want to encourage you, check out the story about Jesus. Because when you give your life to him, when you say, Jesus, I want to follow you, he is going to give you a life where you can experience joy. Well, church, let me close with this. Um, many people know the story of, of Johnny Erickson Tata. How many of you are familiar with, with Johnny's story? She was, I think, 17 years old. She had a tragic diving accident and broke her neck and was paralyzed. And she wrote a number of books to share her story. One of those books was called Joy Hard One. And I'd like to read an excerpt from that, from that book. It goes like this. Honesty is always the best policy, but especially when you're surrounded by a crowd of women in a restroom during a break at a Christian women's conference. One woman putting on lipstick said, oh, Johnny, you always look so together, so happy in your wheelchair. I wish I had your joy. Several women around her nodded. How do you do it? She asked as she capped her lipstick. I don't do it, Johnny said. In fact, may I tell you how my day began this morning? This is an average day. After my husband, Ken, leaves for work at 6 a.m., I'm alone until I hear the front door open at 7 a.m. That's when a friend arrives to get me up. While I listen to her make coffee, I pray, Oh, Lord, my friend will soon give me a bath, get me dressed, sit me up in my chair, brush my hair and teeth, and send me out the door. Lord, I don't have the strength to face this routine one more time. I have no resources. I don't have a smile to take into the day, but you do, God. Can I have your smile? I need you desperately. So what happens when your friend comes through the bedroom door, one of them asked? I turn my head toward her and give her a smile sent straight from heaven. It's not mine. It's God's. And so I said, gesturing to my paralyzed legs, whatever joy you see today was hard won this morning.
I have learned that the weaker we are, the more we need to lean on God. And the more we lean on God, the stronger we discover him to be. Let's pray, church. God, thank you. Thank you for the testimony of Johnny's life, Lord. And God, we know this, that joy is so often hard won. And I pray this morning, God, that we would lean on you. God, I pray especially for the people right now that are just having some, some pressures and, and problems and struggles in their life, Lord, that they would lean on you and in that relationship with Jesus find joy. Lord, I pray this too, that as we look around us this Christmas season, we would be aware of the needs of others and how we can meet those needs. And Lord, Christmas is always a reminder that because you kept your promise to come to our world the first time, you will keep your promise to come again and to make all things new. And so God, this morning, I just would like to, Lord, pray for the one who maybe for the first time is realizing that they've never made a decision to follow you never made a decision to trust Jesus. God, I pray that this morning that that would change and that in their heart they would just say, God, I need you. I believe that Jesus died to pay for my sins and came back to life and I wanna follow him because Lord, I want to have the joy that Jesus offers, this life of hope and peace, the life that I'm supposed to have, God, because of your great love. Lord, I pray this as Christmas Eve and Christmas Day approach that God, you would pick up our heads and help us to keep our eyes on Jesus, the one who loves us like nobody else. And Lord, as we do that, that we would experience your incredible joy. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.